nobody puts their hand up to say IP or I'm having, you know, I, I leak poo or anything like that. So that's why I started, you know, social media, my own podcast is because you're right. People don't even know that there's information and they don't know what to ask. And sometimes this is a topic they really need to kind of dip their feet in or their toes in before they'll even go for help or know what questions to ask. Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high-achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, Feisties. Okay, I need to start by making an admission that usually when like pelvic floor conversations come up or like pelvic floor experts are are hosting a session at an event I'm at or something like that. I usually kind of like disregard it as something that like doesn't affect me because I don't pee myself while doing double unders at CrossFit. Um, But I have learned my lesson. After talking to Mel on today's episode, I realized how absolutely wrong I am about that and how little I know about that part of my body. And how closely like that is tied to and related to like my womanhood. So I realized that like my lack of knowledge about the pelvic floor is tied to like the lack of studies on women's health and that learning about it is a great way to gain back power and an understanding of my own body. So I learned a lot in this episode and I'm super stoked about it. But first we have a new sponsor. Fuelin app has come on board to support the podcast. And a couple weeks ago, I met on Zoom with Jonathan, one of the founders, and he walked me through how it works. So essentially, it's an app. If you're a performance athlete, like someone who is doing, especially endurance sport where you have to eat a lot, if you're doing a sport where your food is really going to affect your performance, I really think it's it's worth the investment. And I wish I had something like this when I was training. So in short, how it works is that it connects to your training peaks. And uh, there's also another training log that it connects to, and they're working on connecting to all training logs. Um, And what happens is it bases food recommendations and fueling recommendations really based on your training, right? So that will be like how, how many carbs, protein, how much fat you need at different points of the day based on your training. And so you can essentially, oh, and, oh, this is the key, is it gives you recipes, like recipe options. So for example, if they're like, you need a protein, you need some this amount of protein, this amount of carbs, whatever, right after your lifting workout, then they can like, then like also will kick up like a recipe for a smoothie that you could make that would fit exactly what they're recommending. Um, so that's like, that was always the, the practical side was always what 
I thought was missing in my, the nutrition information I had as an elite athlete, because it's like, you know, like people can tell you how many grams of carbohydrates and grams of protein you need, but there was a lot of like heavy lifting to figure out what that actually looks like in terms of real food. So that's where I personally saw the benefits of the app that, yeah, actually like being able to know what to make and how to make your food and um, the recipes. And I know there are lots of other benefits. At some point soon, we're actually going to be talking to um, a dietitian who works closely with them. So we will learn more about the app. But um, I thought it was pretty cool to get the walkthrough and also extremely cool that they want to support us. So today's episode is with Melissa DeSales. She's a pelvic health physio, and she guides women through pregnancy, birth, and recovery. And she's the host of the Pelvic Floor Project podcast and founder of Mummy Berries. So Mal and I talk about all things pregnancy and postpartum for active women. And I honestly, like I said, I learned a ton about the pelvic floor just in general, um, even though I am not pregnant and I am 10 years postpartum. <laughs> she, we also talked about why we should, in fact, be active during our pregnancies and possibly even lift heavy shit, the pros and cons of Kegels and how we can broaden our understanding of how we strengthen the area. And for those who have listened to If We Were Riding in the past or have been around Feisty for a while, you'll know that I... I have this issue, like I call it the corgasm issue, <laughs> which means that like sometimes when I need to recruit my core as like a secondary thing, like if I'm doing, say I'm doing a, a plank, although that's core first, but, or if I'm doing um, pull-ups and I need to like keep my strict pull-ups where I'm trying to keep my body straight. So I'm recruiting my core. It happens to me most often during pull-ups and I'll start to get like a feeling like I'm going to have an orgasm. Right. And sometimes it like, it's super, it's like super serious because it's totally distracting, right? It's like completely out of context. I know from experience that I, if I push it too far, I will actually have an orgasm, um, which honestly, like you don't, that's, that sounds kind of fun for the gym, <laughs> liven up the gym, but really like you don't want that, right? Like, and I want to be able to f- finish my set of pull-ups before like my, before my pelvic muscles start spasming like um anyway I asked her about that and she's the first person who was able to explain to me exactly what's going on there and also what I can do to like work on it so my muscles aren't randomly doing that and detonating my pull-up workouts and I also asked her about the connection between what she does as a pelvic health physio and mental health, especially with women postpartum who sometimes are suffering in silence with problems that they don't feel are normal. So great discussion with Mel coming up. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So, 
head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in Feisty Media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Melissa, hi. You say that you're the physio for the embarrassing things. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I, I I would say that people don't necessarily associate physios with things like leaking pee and poop and feeling heavy in the vagina and, um, you know, different muscle. You wouldn't think of a muscle cue being hook your clitoris, but those are things I say every single day. And I did not expect that this would be my area of practice. When I went into physio school, I think lots of my classmates laugh at me because I would have been voted the least likely, but, um, there are a huge group of muscles that live in the pelvis and they just happen to have embarrassing jobs. So I'm a physio for embarrassing things. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Hook your clitoris. Yes. <laughs> what does that mean? Just try it, Sarah. Well, how do you hook it? Which way am I hooking it up or am I hooking it down? Which hook way? it up and tell me what you feel. You feel your pelvic floor. Oh, I see. You see? Yeah. Oh, which is different to whereas thinking of squeeze your anus, <laughs> close your anus, yes. then that is at the back of the pelvic floor. Yes. Oh, I love okay. So I've I've <laughs> for our audience, I'm literally doing this right now. There is they probably are too, if if folks are sitting when they're listening. But like I never even thought of that, that you're like a different, I'm used to hearing something like hold in your pee. 
kind of like a generic. Yes. It's the same, Sarah's front of your shoulder, back of your shoulder. You sure. wouldn't say like you, if you lift your arm forward, that's the front of your shoulder. If you lift your arm backwards, it's the back of your so- shoulder. Wow. Okay. I learned something already. See? Right <laughs> okay. at the beginning, right off the hop. Here we go. So tell, tell me like, how did you become so passionate about women's health? So I've been a physio. I went to the U of S in Saskatchewan and, and I graduated in 2016. So no, 2006, not 2016. So I don't know. I've been a physio since 2006 and I mostly worked in hospitals, especially people with head injuries. And then I had a baby <laughs> and that totally changed everything. And it was my own experience with embarrassing symptoms after that mm-hmm. made me start to, cause I don't think I listened that well to the couple lectures in physio school about the pelvic floor, because it's a, it's kind of a specialized focused area after. Yeah. And so you'd learn a little bit in school, but um, yes, it was afterwards that I started to realize and remember, oh my gosh, it's muscles that control all of these embarrassing things. And we, as physios always look at people's injuries and their muscle problems. Why don't we look at this? Because this is affecting my life. Yeah. And so then I actually did a complete 180. And, and now all I do is you'll hear it called pelvic floor physiotherapy or pelvic health physiotherapy. Right. And did you, did you feel like in that experience of having a child, did you feel like you weren't supported properly? I would say so. My first was born almost nine years ago now, and lots has changed since then. There was no such thing as social media. You'd Google, but mostly still reading. There was no podcast, anything like that. And so I would say I didn't have any idea what questions to even ask, but no, it wasn't offered. Not even my friends, which I would say we were very close, didn't offer me any suggestions. And so there were pelvic health physios. It just wasn't, wasn't as nobody talks about this stuff. And so if you don't know what to ask and your doctor's visit is 10 minutes long and you know, they, they generally ask about how's your breastfeeding, how's your mood and do you need birth control? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess I didn't feel supported, but, 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 um, but, but it's not like I asked and I didn't get it. I didn't even know what to ask for. And you just chalk so many of those symptoms up to, Oh, well, I've just had a child or, um, it's normal. Yeah. That's why I, you know, I always say it's important to tell stories and like through this, like this process of doing the podcast too, it's like, sometimes I know what experts to ask about what, but sometimes like we're before that, like we're pre question. Yes. Yes. Like we don't even know what to we just know. Like there's something slightly wrong. And if we all start talking about our stories, maybe we'll figure out the right question in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I found that when I first started working in the area, you know how many people are having these issues, but it's hard to get the clients because I would start to do um, workshops and everything and nobody comes. And if they, they do come, nobody puts their hand up to say IP or I'm having, you know, I, I leak poo or anything like that. So that's why I started, you know, social media, my own podcast is because you're right. People don't even know that there's information and they don't know what to ask. And sometimes this is a topic they really need to kind of dip their feet in or their toes in before they'll even go for help or know what questions to ask. Right. Okay. So since we're there, I'm going totally off script, by the way. Um, (laughs) What are the questions that people should ask? Um, Do you know what? Can I, can we answer that at the end? Because I think that just from our conversation, I think 
I think a lot of it comes down to an understanding of our body. I actually just interviewed a guest the other day and she said, her name's Michelle Lyons and she's also a physio. She said, women know more about their cell phones than they do about their body, Yeah, which is true, isn't it? Yeah. And yes. I, th- I think, I think at the end of this, after we talk about some of this, I honestly think once we just learn more about our bodies, we know what questions to ask. Cause we start to, we kind of start to realize, Oh, that's, uh, that's not normal that I'm supposed to have that. Is that okay if we kind of circle back to that at the end? Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to say too, about my own experience, having my daughter, the main thing that I felt was less about the, the, the musculars or like what to ask about specific things, but more that like, I went through this trauma, you know, like giving birth is a trauma and then everything is focused on the baby. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't like I'm sitting there thinking, oh, but what about me? But I was aware that there was this kind of like mental health piece where I'm like, oh, like, nobody's really thought about the kind of support that that the mother needs because we're focused on getting the baby fed and all these things happening. And it's fine, but it's very like it's very traumatic. And I can see how folks would have like PTSD or like postpartum. It's completely understandable to me. Absolutely. And I think that there's so many things tied up into that because especially for your audience that's listening, these are a lot, a lot of active women that that's part of your identity is to be active. It's a huge part of your mental health. And there's also so much, um, confusion around what am I supposed to do? What do I have to be? That's all the messaging now is be careful. Well, be careful of what, like, what am I supposed to be careful of? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess let's go there first. Like, do you, what are the things, how much do we really know about how active you can be during pregnancy? Like, can you just keep doing what you normally do? When I was, when I was having my daughter, it was like, wear a heart rate monitor. Don't cross your lactate thresholds ever. Then I went to us. Then I was at Australia on a training camp, actually, when I got pregnant in Australia in trimester two, they were like, Oh no, we do intervals in trimester two. I was like, really? Cause my doctor at home said not to do that. So I know. what are we supposed to do? I know. And actually there is so much fear-based information and there's the pro- one of the biggest problems. There's not a lot of evidence. So they just say, because when there's not evidence, they'll just say, be careful. Right. Or we don't recommend, but there was recently in back in 2019, there were the CSEP guidelines for physical activity during pregnancy were released. And you can find those online anywhere. And basically the overall, the recommendation is that women should be active. The benefits are far greater than the risks. And that generally the recommendation, I'm just going to tell you what the evidence shows 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity each week, which is pretty easy for some of the people that are listening, um, over a minimum of three days. Um, but being active in any way is important. Basically saying, um, you don't have to get 150 minutes to have any benefit, anything, anything is beneficial. Um, but there, there's so many benefits, like obviously your blood glucose, decreased weight gain, decreased depression by like 25%. Whoa. Decreased back pain, decreased chance of preeclampsia and blood pressure by 40 high blood pressure by 40% decreased risk of C-section birth and instrumented delivery, decreased risk of incontinence. And there, there used to be, like you said, all this information about you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. And I think a lot of women here, um, especially very active women here, a lot of women have a hard time conceiving too, but they're worried that something's going to go wrong if they're active. Yes. 
right? Yes. We've um, sort of been taught that, right? Yes. Like that, oh, rest, you know, lie down and don't do anything. <laughs> exactly. But they actually found that they found in the research that physical activity is not associated with stillbirth, neonatal death, preterm birth, preterm labor or rupture of membranes, low birth weight, birth defects, induction of labor, miscarriage. Like they didn't find any evidence to support that. Wow. Having said that, I always say like, this has to be on an individual basis, obviously. But I think that sometimes like that, especially these, these athletes that are listening and that really want to make the case that they want to be active because some women feel better not being active. And I think that that's up to you. But if you, if you are hearing from your care provider that you shouldn't, I think that, you know, showing them these guidelines and just saying based, like sometimes we just don't know current evidence in our practice, right? So being able to show them to your care provider and say, well, the evidence shows this. Can you tell me if this doesn't apply to me? Mm. Oh yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. Because there are reasons, there are reasons, obviously, like, you know, if you have, I'm just looking at some of them so I can read them off the top of my head. If there's unexplained persistent bleeding, preeclampsia, incompetent cervix, like there's all sorts of things. Um, like if you've had placenta previa before 28 weeks, if you have, um, higher order births, so, um, twins, um, or triplets or anything like that, any, any of that is a special consideration, obviously. And there will be some situations where your care provider says you, you can't exercise beyond X or whatever. Right. And do you know anything about that rule that I, that I just said about like not wanting to, um, cross threshold. Yeah. Or not wanting to like go into oxygen deprivation. Is that This is, this is one of the things like, basically they're saying now that no, we shouldn't necessarily use our heart rate, but more of a talk test. Like, can you carry a conversation comfortably? That's basically what they go by. But this is again, where a huge amount of research, like there's research lacking in, 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 um, elite athletes. So they'll always say, be careful, but there are some, there are some studies that are showing promising findings about exercising at a high intensity because your body is primed for it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's it. Everybody, everybody can tolerate different things. And I don't think that being sedentary and then picking up marathon running during pregnancy is obviously recommended, but if you already run and put on a lot of miles and your body's comfortable and versed with that, they're not saying that there are contraindications to that. As a general rule, yeah, the thing that happened to me that was interesting is the way that I knew that I was pregnant. I knew I was pregnant very, very quickly. And it's because like my body would not perform in training. Like I would, I was going out a couple of weeks in a row. I'd go out to do my run intervals, which was probably one of the most intense sessions I would do during the week as an elite athlete. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't run near what I would. And I, and I was trying to get pregnant at the time. And I just thought, I'm pregnant, but it was another week before I was able to take a test to show that. Um, so like, I think our bodies will kind of like, they're smart enough to take care of us. Right. And our child. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting. Like there was, you're right. I think that this is an individual basis. Cause I'll, I'll talk to people, I'll have clients that really, 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 really early on in the pregnancy, like I j- could just tell I shouldn't, but I have others that run throughout their entire pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's the part where, you know, you hear, you hear the line 
all the time, listen to your body, which sounds so cliche, but I think sometimes this is where the information comes. If you kind of understand what's going on with your body during pregnancy, you start to recognize, you know, what to look for. You recognize those signs so that you can make your own individualized decision, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were you active during your pregnancy? I was, I, I didn't have great pregnancies. I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't say that I was that glowing pregnant woman. I was active, but I, I gained 50 and 60 pounds with my pregnancies. And, um, I, I have always liked activity for mental health. I've never had to make myself be active. And so I was, but just obviously much less than much less than normal. And I think that's actually an important point is that you should fully expect no matter how fit you are, that your performance declines steadily through pregnancy. Like mm-hmm. you, like, I, th- I think that actually a lot of women are surprised to hear that, or it makes them kind of like, Oh, thank God you're saying that that gives me kind of almost permission to pump the brakes a bit. Yeah. Fully. You should fully expect that your performance decline. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, what do you like, what do you recommend for clients? It sounds like, you know, I, I I feel like you've said already like to listen to their instincts, but when someone comes in asking you, how do you decide on an individual basis, what to recommend? What do you like? That's always my, what, what, what fuels you? Because I'm not going to, if you hate running, I'm not going to tell you to run. If you hate swimming, I'm not going to make you swim. I think basically the benefits they say in the guidelines, strength training and cardiovascular training are both or cardiovascular exercise are both important. They both have benefits. Um, so I, I kind of like to think of exercise or activity, having three prongs, flexibility, strength, and cardiovascular benefits. And so I say variety, if you're open to variety, it's kind of like cross training. And you, if, if run, if all of your eggs are in the running basket and you stop feeling comfortable running, then that can feel really low with your mood. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, if the gym closes and you only go to the gym, that can feel hard. So I think variety Mm -hmm. is helpful. Mm -hmm. And what about lifting heavy? What do you suggest there for pregnancy? Again, in the guidelines, they're saying that you can still lift heavy. You're going to expect that your performance go down, but that often you have to modify. You just have to modify as your belly gets bigger. Some of your, some of your techniques, sometimes you have to manage how you, how you control pressure for example, Valsalva or anything like that. Often Valsalva is not recommended in pregnancy, mm-hmm. like a breath, a breath hold through heavy lifting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, what is, what that? is that? What is she saying? Yes. So basically a breath hold, I think most heavy lifters will know that will know that term, but, but basically a breath hold just because it puts more added pressure down through the pelvic floor and out the belly basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then for me, when like at the most shocking part for me was that I had this huge focus on these nine months that I was sur- like, you know, that I was kind of surviving. I had this, like, I had a, I had a plan, you know, I made sure I didn't get, I actually became iron deficient for a little while, got that under control, felt a lot better. You know, I was active all the way till the end. And then like had not taken into account again, like, you know, didn't have, I read all the information online and I read what to expect the the things that, you know, the things that we normally read, but I don't, didn't really feel prepared for that next few weeks where I was like, Oh, I'm injured. 
<laughs> and absolutely. And I can't, I actually like, cause I'd focus so hard on these nine months and like, let's get this baby out healthy that that next phase actually became the hardest because I'm like, Oh, I can't even walk around the block. Like I was expecting to have my body freedom back <laughs> and now I don't. So what do you, what are the challenges of postpartum and how do we deal with that? I think, um, well, that's such a big question. It's a massive I, question. No, yes. it's okay. I would say one of the one of the big things that I think I notice constantly in postpartum clients, you're right, is kind of um, deer in the headlights. Like, what's going on here? Mm. And I think that you know when you go into for you, everybody knows someone that's had some sort of surgery before on their knee or their hip. We 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 prepare those people for what's going to come, and we 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 prep them as far as if it's not an emergency surgery, like if you're going in for an elective knee surgery, for example, an ACL or something like you go into that with as much strength and range of motion as you can. Mm -hmm. And then you have a plan for after where, whereas I think that we kind of try to continue on as best we can during pregnancy. And then afterwards, the muscles that are most effective, like I said, most often the embarrassing muscles are muscles we've never thought about. Everybody knows their knee muscles, but nobody knows their pelvic floor muscles. These are mm -hmm. muscles that live inside of us. Plus they, they, they're very taboo. You don't, nobody talks, says the term clitoris or anus, mm -hmm. you know, so we don't go to work or talk to our friends about this. Um, and the pelvic floor muscles and a lot of the core muscles are so reflexive they don't require our attention. So then mm -hmm. all of a sudden your postpartum recovery, not only during kind of sleep deprivation, but your body's very foreign to you. And you're supposed to focus on what, like, I don't even know where those muscles are, let alone how to contract and relax them. Um, so honestly, it's, it's very much parallels any other musculoskeletal injury in that most people listening to this will have had some sort of injury. And, you know, in the early phases, usually we spend a lot of time just resting, icing things, dealing with swelling, right? If you, after your knee surgery, you're going to elevate, you're going to rest and you're going to ice and you'll wiggle your toes and everything a bit. And that's what we do for the postpartum woman is we say, use your padsicles, use your sits bath, use your peri bottle. If you've had a C-section, you know, rest. Um, if you've had a vaginal birth, rest. And, you know, try to get his help as best you can, but then, then nothing, then crickets. Whereas then the knee surgery, you know, after that acute swelling is gone and you feel better and you're starting to walk around the house, would you ever just go for a run? <laughs> no, right. you, you have no range of motion. You have yeah. no strength. I can't run if I don't have that. Whereas with the postpartum woman, we're like, I got it. I'm going to go for a 10 K. I, you know, I've, I've rested uh, the day after I get my clearance, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Like it's, isn't it kind of crazy when you think about it? So I would say the biggest challenge is that, uh, there's crickets. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay. I have a couple follow up. First of all, padsicles. I've never heard them called that before, but I was, I was very grateful for, I, like, I know what you mean because I was told to like put pads in the freezer. Yeah. So I had fr frozen something frozen to put in my underwear, but like padsicles, it's great. Um, so do you do with your clients, do you do prep for that phase? Like, do you like, you know, Kegels type 
situation? Absolutely. So all a Kegel is, and this is where Kegels are given a cure-all status. Like you'll always just hear like, oh yeah, go home, do some Kegels. So after your knee surgery, if I just said, bend your knee a few times and you're good, like you're like, part of me, like, is, are you sure that's it? And that's all a Kegel is. Kegel means flex, (laughs) flex the pelvic floor. It is so much more than that. And, and so, so absolutely, it absolutely starts in pregnancy because you don't have to wait till after that. We would never wait after that ACL reconstruction to learn what it feels like to bend and straighten our knee. Um, you know, we, we, we all, we know that before. And so I, I love going into people going into their birth feeling like they're ready. I think of the pregnant body as a friend in need, meaning you're growing, your muscles are lengthening, your body's changing. Let's understand what that friend needs and give it what it needs. And that's where I think every pregnant woman will be a bit different in that some women will be concerned about more about diastasis. Some will be having to think more about modifying their exercise. Some will have more aches and pains in their pelvis. Everybody is going to have a different friend in need. Mm-hmm. So I think figuring out, you know, learning about the muscles involved, learning about how to work with that changing body, because when, or, or learning about the pelvic floor specifically in this situation, what does the pelvic floor feel like to flex or contract? Because I need to know what that feels like to stop pee and poop. Right. Right. Whereas I also need to learn how to let go or lengthen those muscles to let a baby out without resistance. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is like, Oh, I'm just got to get rid of, get this baby out and then everything's fine. Well, your muscles let the baby out, mm-hmm. right? The, the muscles make up the opening. So the more you learn about how to feel in control of those muscles to allow the birth process to be easier And then you can just pick right up where you left off with range of motion after, right? And I think that simple range of motion is what we do for every injury after is get the range of motion, get the strength. And this is no different. So if you don't have an awareness before, it's hard to learn that harder to learn that after. Right. So if, so what you're saying is like Kegels, like it's not just a simple solution, right? So like what beyond Kegels, like what do we, what do we know? Or how can we expand on that knowledge? Like, what can we tell our audience right now? That's going to expand on like fake. Cause right now I think, okay, I know how to do like, I, I think I know how to do Kegels. I could do that right now, but like, are yes. there other things I could okay. do? <laughs> here's, here's what I think about. I always, I'm a huge analogies person. And I find with this area, you have to use a lot of analogies. I picture the pelvis, like a, I picture the whole thing, like a trampoline. So the pelvis, the bony pelvis itself is made up of two, um, pelvic bones with the end of the spine, the sacrum and the tailbone at the back. Right. And so you've got these bones that create the frame. That's the part that sits on the ground. Right. And, and, um, the trampoline or the bouncy part is the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor attaches in 360 degrees on the inside of that bony frame. And it happens to have holes in the bottom, three holes that let out pee that, have have the entry to our vagina and let out babies in a vaginal birth and the anus. So there's three holes in the bottom and that pelvic floor literally functions like a, like a, the bouncy part of a trampoline. It gives us shock absorption. I would say without the, without the pelvic floor, it's like running on dead shoes versus new shoes, you know, like that you want that spring. And that's what the pelvic floor gives us. 
all of the muscles that attach on the outside of the frame, like the abdominals, the glutes, the adductors, you name it. Any muscle that attaches to the pelvis is like a vector that has an influence on it. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that during pregnancy, one of the things that happens is our pelvis moves a bit more to allow for a growth of a uterus and a passage of the baby. So you change the frame <laughs> and we change how we stand on the frame. We, our posture changes a lot, our center of mass and our center of gravity changes. So you start to get that frame changes and what's going to happen to all the muscles inside. They're going to change and react to that. A lot of women, pregnant women, if you're pregnant and listening to this, when you're standing, notice how you stand. My guess, especially as you get bigger and bigger, is that more of the weight is on your heels because the front of you, your breasts and your belly are bigger. And so the more weight you have on your heels, the more you'll have your anus clenched because that's the back of the pelvic floor and the spring tension will increase at the back. Your abdominal muscles will start having to stretch to accommodate the growing belly. So they'll exert a force of pulling on the pelvis, the glutes, you know, pregnant women get like flat glutes because of their butt tuck and that doesn't support the pelvic floor as well. So everything is changing. So to just clench the pelvic floor a couple times, yeah, you're, you're kind of missing the big picture. <laughs> It's so I, I, I totally got off track, Sarah, and I don't even remember what you asked. No, no, you answered, you totally answered it. I was kind of, I was maybe looking for like a couple things beyond kegels, like practical things. Like what are the other things that, that was an amazing explanation though, by the way. So, but like, what are some other exercises or what types of things do you prescribe? So learning to coordinate the core muscles and you know, learning how the pelvic floor is part of our core actually. And so learning how like you'll hear a lot of messaging during pregnancy around don't work your core. Sure. There are certain, um, there are certain exercises that often are hard because your be belly's so big, but you don't have to avoid all core exercise, learning how to make sure all your core muscles stay coordinated. And most people need some help doing this, but, um, learning how to help all of that be coordinated helps your pelvic floor because it's part of the system. Staying in touch with your glutes during pregnancy um, is a very beneficial thing for your pelvic floor, because I think of the glutes as the big screws that hold everything together. Right. Um, well, very commonly pregnant women will have tight adductors. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another really big one during pregnancy, but I think my general question is if, if you feel comfortable, I don't think you always need to, to search for things, but if you're feeling uncomfortable and you don't feel that you can do your activities very well and something feels off, then that would be worthwhile seeing someone to be able to look at all of these things and help you understand what's going on and what kinds of things to support during your pregnancy. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. One of our, I, I have to ask you this because now I'm just super curious if you've heard this before, but one of the producers um, that work with us, she had heard before that like Kegels, like is a, that Kegels was sort of invented by men almost like as part of a patriarchal structure to like ensure tighten up, tighten to tighten, up, that us women up. tighten up. Yeah. Have you heard that before? Or do you think that that's true in your experience or is it a, is it a useful thing? Well, I mean, like I said, um, whether, yes, I think in the past they used to be just, um, most women 
especially older generation have heard to do Kegels all the time. Yes. For Um, that reason, like to uh, tighten up. You do hear that a lot, but lots of women have different reasons. Like the number women that think they're supposed to clench those muscles all the time. Otherwise pee or organs will fall out. Like there's, there's, I could just list misconceptions all day long. Right. But I like, generally we use the term Kegel Mm -hmm. to describe a contraction of the pelvic floor. Right. And as you know, like contraction does so many things. Why exactly? Like, I don't know if I could totally comment on the origin and why exactly it was created. But yes, there are so many patriarchal messages and, and beliefs in the past um, about that area of our body, right? Yeah, it's like so many things. It's like it's a both and almost, you know, like you can't exactly. you can't separate what we know about women's health from our dominant culture, right? Yes. And some things can be yes. in the gray zone in that way. Yes, yes, right? exactly. Um, Okay. I want to ask you, I want to ask you about something completely random, but like a few years ago, I was talking to one of my podcast hosts about the fact that like, sometimes when I'm in the gym doing a core exercise, it's often not like a strict core. Like it might be a pull-up or something where I need a strict pull-up where I need core as a secondary thing to what I'm doing. I sometimes start to get like an orgasmy type feeling, mm. like when I clench those muscles down there. Mm-hmm. And so I Googled this, <laughs> and it turns out that like a corgasm, quote unquote, for women is like a thing. <laughs> and I found all these like articles and instances. And then I, when I put it out there, I got messages from all kinds of women who were like, oh yeah, I've had an orgasm in the gym or like... <laughs> Do you know what that is? Have well, you basically like w- in order to have orgasm, like you need a lot of like the pelvic floor goes through like contraction and relaxation. That's kind of like what the quivery feeling feels like. Yeah. But oftentimes leading up to that, it will be an overactive tension. Does that make sense? Like the pelvic floor is holding a lot of tension and, um, sometimes it's how you're doing your core exercise that you you might not be thinking about your pelvic floor, but your pelvic floor is a very reactionary or very, um, responsive group of muscles that for example, like notice right now, when you just squeeze your tummy in, what happens to your pelvic floor? Oh yeah. It kind of, it tightens. Yeah. 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 So sometimes if you're doing a very core dominant exercise, Uh like, well, first of all, you will always get pelvic floor contraction with that, but Uh sometimes it can, it's an, it's an general overactivity of the pelvic floor. Right. Yeah. So, so so interesting. Like I, I hadn't, I didn't know if that was a normal experience or not. And then to hear from all these people like, Oh, okay. Some women will get different sensations, like symptoms of a UTI Mm. symptoms of bladder urgency. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Maybe I get that one too. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. I just, it's funny because some people said, Oh, lucky for you. I'm like, no, that's the last thing you I want when I'm trying to do a pull-up. Like, you know, I'm in there like I can do 10 in a row. Yeah. And then I can't because I feel like I'm going to have an orgasm. Like that's the last reason I want to stop doing it. Yeah. Exercise. But it's like an overstimulation kind of right. overactivity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's go to this. What do you think are the most prominent gaps in the healthcare system for women right now? Yeah. Again, just lack of knowledge. And um, I think we're a very, we're a very reactionary healthcare system. We're not really proactive healthcare system. So we fix things as 
they come up. We don't necessarily help avoid the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very similar to how, again, approaching another, we do this better in the musculoskeletal world. If you know, someone's going in for a procedure or a surgery, you prepare them and you kind of look for maximum efficiency before you do the surgery for better outcomes. But you know, we, we know pregnant women are having babies, <laughs> you know, we know this is coming. This is like an elective thing and we don't spend the time to educate them. And then generally, you know, a lot of women suffer in silence with symptoms like prolapse pain with intercourse leaking. And after sometimes years, it takes them to bring it up to their family doctor. And usually they're sent to a specialist. And in the past, the specialists, the urologists or gynecologists were surgeons primarily. So women would have a surgery first but mm-hmm. you'd never do that in the orthopedic world. Like if you had a knee knee problem, you wouldn't go straight to your family doctor and then get sent straight to an orthopedic surgeon for a surgery. You'd explore every option before you had a surgery. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that over and over and over again, you hear that out of a woman's mouth is I had no idea anything about this. I would have done this. I wish I would have known. So I think the biggest thing is just knowledge dissemination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting how many people are suffering in silence. Cause on one hand, like pregnancy and childbirth, it's so common in a way, like a lot of, it's a thing that a lot of people go through. And then at the same time, a lot of people are completely shocked by how difficult the experience is. Right. Like, so it's like, there's just this massive gap in information and, and help. Well, and we see that all the time anyway, it, it, it finally, we're starting to see, like, I definitely see in this field, lots of research emerging around this. And it's all very, it all aligns with what so much of us are doing, like trying to shout from the rooftops, like ladies learn about this stuff. So all this research is, is really helping, but what is it? It's something like at least seven years it takes for research to make it to clinical practice. Or I don't remember what the number is. I want to say at least seven that, so that takes a long time. I think that is the benefit of things like podcasts and social media is that this gets the information actually gets out there. I spend a lot of time on, I have a podcast too, and I spend a lot of time talking with researchers to be able to like help them get subjects for their studies or, or just put out what their findings are, because otherwise it takes a long time just to get that into the hands of the clinician. Right. Yeah. What's your podcast called? The pelvic floor project. Okay, cool. And people can find that just like on Apple podcasts, all the places. Amazing. Amazing for all our pregnant listeners, you know, where to go. Um, and how do you recommend people get the help that they need and start getting answers to, you know, to circle back to the, the questions, like which, what questions to ask and, and getting the right help? Well, I think, um, well, I'll tell you, I think that um, sometimes we as women think, I just want to be easy. I don't want to be demanding. Like, I just want, like, I want the healthcare provider to like me. And a lot of athletes, I'm, I'm one of them, but like type A, like, do you know what I mean? Lots of people are type A and they don't want to be that sometimes. Like, I just want to be easy. So then we don't ask questions. (laughs) But I always say like, when someone comes in to see me, I look at it this way. If you came in to see me and said, Hey Mel, I'm here to learn. Then I don't really know what interests you. I don't know what you want to learn. So I think sometimes spending some time learning about, about 
what your options are for pregnancy and postpartum. So you know what interests you, if that makes sense. For example, listening to my podcasts or listening to me yak about this stuff on Instagram so that you can listen. Oh, I can see that I could have help for exercise or just at least know kind of what maybe some of your options are, because I think that's on us as clients is to spend some time educating ourselves. I think that we know that healthcare providers are limited by their time. So I think that sometimes we put too much on them, right? To show up to your doctor's visit for 10 minutes and expect that they give you all exercise modifications and ways to prepare for your birth and everything. Like, I think that's unrealistic, right? Mm -hmm. And same thing, like you would never go to your family doctor for exercise advice after your leg injury. Like, do you know what I mean? You just, who do you go to for that? Right. And so I think, I think that, um, spending some time figuring out what your questions are and, and, and what you need help with. And because, um, I think that goes down to, this is what we do as pelvic health physios, just like after you have some other musculoskeletal injury, you know, what healthcare providers you go to. And, and so we still do physio. It's just for a different area of the body, but basically, um, you know, I would say if you're pregnant, then go see someone. (laughs) I actually have, an. I think maybe this would help. I have an online program that I've created that walks people through. There's, um, six modules for pregnancy. And the very first module is what is my core and pelvic floor? Like, what does it look like? And how do I have control over that? And how is it changing in pregnancy? Number two, what's, what's with my pelvic pain and what are all these pregnancy support belts? Like, are they, do I need to know anything about them? The third one breaks down all the exercise guidelines, the evidence-based exercise guidelines and how you're going to apply them to yourself. Mm-hmm. because I think that's sometimes hard for people to do. I talk about mental and physical birth preparation, because at the end of the day, these muscles in the case of a vaginal birth, they let out the baby. So ha- feeling that you have control of those muscles, not just that you're able to tighten them for strength because strength is important, but being able to relax them is important too. So I think that, and I've, that's only 159 Canadian dollars, that program. So it's a very good cost effective way to learn a ton. And then you go to whoever is in your area, you research, um, pelvic health physios that work with pregnant and postpartum women, someone that feels right to you and go see them. And I think that the program's an excellent way to wet your feet and figure out kind of what your questions are. Yeah. Figure out what your questions are. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this question, but I'm going to answer, I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, like as a pelvic floor specialist, like a physiotherapist, do you think that every pregnant person, every pregnant woman should have, should go to someone like yourself? Um, sorry, that this is the first part of the question. Oh, that's okay. Um, and go ahead. Do you want me to answer that first? Sure. Well, of course I'm biased. I think it would be the same as, as, um, let me just, let me just see if I can think of an analogy, which I always love to do it to me. It's kind of, um, it goes back to the women know more about their cell phones than they do about their body. And I think we're very well positioned as physios to know a lot about the body. And I think it depends on how much you like to know, um, and how, how proactive you consider yourself. Um, 
you know, this isn't just to have a baby and to get back to running, but this is your whole life. Like you only have this one body for the rest of your life. So, I mean, I'm biased, but everybody, all, all I like to do is give the information that everybody should, should decide for themselves. I find a lot of people go through that program that I mentioned, and they feel like that's tons of information for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm biased, but yeah, but I just thinking like, you know, even someone I mentioned earlier before the show started that I felt like I was like fairly fortunate. I had a fairly easy pregnancy, fairly easy birth, fairly easy comeback. And still, you know, I, as I said, I still felt it was a bit traumatic. I still struggled a little bit with coming back. So it's sort of like you can have an easy surgery or you can have an easy, easier injury than someone else had, but you still need a physiotherapist (laughs) to help you through it, you know? I think the other thing to think about, Sarah, I always picture that, that I let's go back to the knee again. Let's say you take 10 people that have had a knee surgery. And as a physio, if people said, do the, all of these people need to see you? Well, I'd be like, well, depends. Like if, if you're, if this person, if their life is in a wheelchair, that's very different than someone that wants to get back to elite sport or is someone that's 80 versus 20 and maybe, maybe they're feeling great. So, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, I think that if you're at the end of the day, if something doesn't feel right, or you're not having your questions answered, or you're feeling your body's holding you back, then Mm. absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think my last question, and this is the one that I'm not sure you can just we don't need stats. <laughs> just, I'm just asking from your experience, but we talk about women's performance and four pillars, one's physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. And that's how we've tried, like talked about it on this podcast and at our summit and said, like, you can't kind of separate those things one from another necessarily. And I'm just thinking about what you said about, um, you know, you're essentially talking about muscles and bones and (laughs) super practical physiology pieces. But at the same time, like we know that, you know, if someone is used to activity and come back, come back to physical activity faster, that's going to help their mental health. Um, So do you think that some of the work that you do actually helps like close that gap from the number of people having postpartum depression and stuff like that? Totally. I mean, picture this picture, um, a woman coming in postpartum, let's say, three years postpartum. Um, I can't run with my friends anymore because I pee my pants. I have to wear huge pads and it's, it's giving me chafing in my labia when I run or, um, I can't pick up my baby. Um, I had this lady a couple of weeks ago. I can't pick up my baby. Every time I pick him up, I poop my pants. So I don't leave the house because I'm humiliated and I don't know if I'll be able to go back to work. Um, I haven't had sex with my partner in a year because my pain is so intense when he penetrates. Um, I, our relationship is falling apart. Um, yeah, this is stuff you hear wow. on a daily basis. Yeah. Or I'm I'm terrified to have another birth because I don't I don't know. Nobody explained to me what my tearing looks like or what what how, is that related to my hemorrhoids? Like, like um. So I think that probably answers the question. Like they come in um because they relate it to a physical issue, but these issues absolutely affect their mental health. And that's why I think, why don't like women deserve this information? The evidence is very supportive of pelvic health physiotherapy, um, especially postpartum. Um, and I was actually just interviewed someone the other day who did a study on 
um, basically the benefits of educating women about pelvic floor related injuries, postpartum, Mm -hmm. and how they found that not only this was just recently published, not only did it decrease some of the birth traumas, but it made the birth traumas easier as far as depression and mental health goes. So basically going in eyes wide open helped. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can, yeah, that's easy to understand, right? <laughs> like, of course, right? The more like knowledge is power. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much, Mel. Um, where can people, how can people follow you? You talked about your podcast already. I know you're pretty active on social media. How can we follow? Yeah. So I, my Instagram account is called mommy berries health. Mm-hmm. My podcast is called the pelvic floor project. As I mentioned, I have, I mentioned the, pro- the pregnancy program. I also have a postpartum program that's safe to start as soon as you have your baby, because it basically talks about the swelling management after and helps you understand the hole that your baby came out of, or the muscles affected during your C-section and what you would do in the acute phase. And then the next module is called I'm ready for more. So starting to kind of get those muscles with early range of motion, right. Um, starting to incorporate them in your day as a mom. So how to involve the pelvic floor in your core into lifting your baby or your stroller, and then progresses you through basically how to add impact, how to add running, how to add weightlifting. And it, it's all, you can do it all from the comfort of your home and supplement with seeing someone in person. So that's all on my website, mommyberries.com. I also, one other quick thing I love to mention is that I run these small groups where, um, I go through it all in it with a small group of women. So myself and eight women will go through the program together, either during pregnancy or postpartum. So we go by module module together online, you work through it. And then we meet together to go through the things that you don't feel comfortable asking and mm-hmm. talk through it. You realize you're not alone. You realize everybody's symptoms are different than yours, but you're also going through the same type of state. And um, that's all the details and intakes are on my website too. Wow. I absolutely love that. And I totally wish I had those resources 12 years ago. So thank you for the work that you do. I should really quickly say too, I'm located in Kelowna, BC. And um, I I, um, work at a couple different clinics part-time. Yeah. I'm sure we have some BC listeners yes. um, since I'm also in BC. Yes. Amazing. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Mel. Um, thanks for the great conversation. I know I learned a lot. Well, I thank you for like spreading the word and being open to, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear after you work on your clitoris hooks and your anus tightens, how you find your connection is to your pelvic floor. Yes. Maybe I can, maybe I can control the corgasm <laughs> a little bit better so I don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. Exactly. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow 
Shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, 
and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. <laughs>